So when you go out there, what do you look like? You were baptized in pickle juice or do you have joy? Do you look like you're enjoying this thing called Christianity? Or do you look like it's a great big burden? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if you've got something heavy you're carrying around, it's not Jesus. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. As we're about to see, when God's Word predicts a future event, it's going to happen. Hi and welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire. Thanks for joining us this time. Today we're continuing the series, Acts, When God Gets Loose. As I've often said, one of the great proofs that the Bible is the Word of God is the fulfilled prophecies found in its pages. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is one of those amazing prophecies. And the Apostle Peter knew this full well when he stood to his feet following the Spirit's outpouring and said, This is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. In today's message, we're going to explore what Peter meant and how beautifully prophetic predictions made centuries before that great day all came to pass. So grab your Bible and follow along as I share part two of the message, This is That. So when you wade into the theology of providence and sovereignty and foreknowledge, you wade into heavy, intellectual, mind-bending, challenging issues to understand. No wonder Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways beyond tracing out. That's Romans 11.33. So God determined it, but he's still holding Jesus' crucifiers accountable. Now, Peter continues in verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Can we say that last part together? It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And you know what? It's impossible for death to keep its hold on you as a child of God. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And he was the first fruits of the resurrection. As he went up, you're going up. As death had to turn loose of him, death has to turn loose of you. As the grave could not hold him, the grave will not hold you. Amen. So then Peter closes out with the real zinger. This is what got them. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know, assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There he goes again telling them they did it. Now the crowd is totally convicted. So verse 37, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answers and said to them, Repent. Can we say that six-letter word together? Repent. Well, that's not a popular word in our day because we haven't done anything wrong, don't you know? 
We're little angels walking around with halos over our head in our culture. Nobody will fess up to doing anything wrong. We're masters at the blame game. But if, unless you repent, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, he said, repent, and then let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive what, everybody? The gift of the Holy Spirit. What you have just seen us get, he's saying, you'll get likewise. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, notice the word repent. I want to just look at it for a minute. There is no salvation, folks, without repentance. There's not any. We've kind of watered down the gospel in our day, and we say things like, well, just believe on Jesus. Well, that's part of it. But if you believe on Jesus, then you must agree with Jesus. And what does Jesus say to us until we're saved, until we're born again? He says, you're in sin. We must agree with Jesus as we believe on Jesus and repent according to what he has shown us about ourselves, that there is none righteous. No, not one. We've all turned aside. We've all walked away from God. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, not of some of us, but of us all. So we must repent. There is no forgiveness without it, no salvation without it. It's the first step in reconciliation with God. No repentance, no salvation. Repent. Well, you could take that word to a college campus in our day. If you make it out of there alive, you try to rain your guilt on me, but you are guilty. Until you're saved, you're extremely guilty. We all are. Then Peter says something that many latch onto who believe that water baptism is necessary for salvation. So let me deal with another golden calf here. Notice what he says. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Well, that sounds clear to me. He's telling you that you receive remission of sins when you're baptized in water. Isn't that what it sounds like? But do you know there's nothing in baptism itself that can wash away sin? That can be done only by the pardoning mercy of God through the atonement of Christ. Baptism, here's what it does. It expresses a willingness to be pardoned in that way because baptism illustrates and symbolizes the whole process of being saved. It's a solemn declaration of our conviction that there's no other way to obtain forgiveness than Jesus' blood. I got saved in juvenile home. There was no water to be baptized in. Are you going to tell me that if I'd gone back to my cell and let's say a couple of days later they, somebody beat me to death, God forbid, but I know it's terrible, but like in prison, would I have gone to hell when I called out on Jesus and asked him to forgive me and I knew that he came into my heart? No. Water baptism is an act of obedience, but it's the blood that saves. Peter closes his altar call with the magnificent promise. You shall receive the gift. It's not earned. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, what a sermon that must have been. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard that sermon? See old salty Simon Peter stand up, Mr. Unlearned, uneducated, stand up and just rip into this massive crowd And it says, at the close of his powerful Pentecost sermon, thousands were saved. 
Look at verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from what kind of generation? Are we in one of those? Oh, you better believe it. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about how many souls? Three thousand. Now, that's an invitation. That'll make you go home feeling good about your message. 3,000 souls were added to them. Don't you know that was one gigantic baptism? Because it says they were all baptized in water, 3,000 of them. That took all day. Now we've got a baby church on our hands. Now we've got a baby church, and 3,000 people have just been born into it and baptized into this new church by the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you some marks of this early church. And as I go over these marks, let me ask you, to think, is that mark on me? Is that mark on us? Is that mark on a lot of churches I know about? Let's just read them. First, it was marked by the truth. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. That's truth. That's Bible teaching. Doctrine is not a dry word. Doctrine is what I'm teaching you right now. It is extremely important. They continued steadfastly. They said, I'm going I'm to get into Bible teaching and nothing is going to take me from it. Nothing is going to stop me from it. The Holy Spirit, here's what was happening. He was already beginning to fulfill Jesus' promise that you find in the Gospel of John when he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. That's how they were able to write the Gospels, with clear memory. Because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit falls, he's going to bring to your memory everything I've said to you. And that's beginning to happen now. So the early church put truth first. Can we say that together, truth first? They put truth first, not experience first, truth first. And that's the way you better always live. Never let experience negate truth. Second, it was marked by the tie. Not just the truth, but the tie. And what I mean by that is that blessed tie that binds us together in Christian love. They were tied together. It says they continued together in the doctrine and in fellowship. John would later write in his epistle, we know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love the brethren. What an acid test that is. That's a litmus test. I wonder how many churches would feel real saved if you took that seriously. We know we have been saved if we love one another. Not if we're talking in tongues, not if we're praying for the sick, not if our church is big, but do we love each other? That's the litmus test. So they walked in, say it with me, the truth and in the tie. And the third mark of the early church was the table. It says they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Now this is talking about the Lord's Supper, which they regularly observe, which we regularly observe here. Uh, per Jesus' command, who said, do this often to remember me. Okay? So when you think about it, the Lord's Supper, this occurred to me today, when you think about it, it's really a companion or sits right next to water baptism. And here's how they go together. In baptism, we are declaring our death with Christ. When we baptize somebody, we say, buried with him by baptism into his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. 
So the whole message of water baptism is your old life is left in that water. Your old life is buried in Christ. And you have been raised to walk in a new life. Okay? So water baptism testifies to our death with Christ. But in the Lord's Supper, we show His death for us. The blood, the bread. He gave His body. He gave His blood. He died for us. No other person ever did that in history or ever will. The Lamb of God. Okay? So our death with Christ, His death for us. So they were marked by the truth, the tie, the table, and fourthly, the throne. It says they continued in prayers. Steadfastly. You could not get them out of prayer. Now, it's not saying they're praying 24-7. It's just saying they consistently prayed. So when it comes to the truth, where are you? The tie that binds. Where are you? The table. What about the throne? Praying. Going to the Lord regularly. This is what made this early embryonic baby church so strong that we're about to read what happened. Now, one thing about the prayers. The name of Jesus was brand new as far as a prayer medium. Nobody had ever prayed in Jesus' name till Jesus came. They didn't do that in the Old Testament. They didn't know the name of Jesus. But Jesus said, you'll pray in my name. So the name of Jesus opened up prayer opportunities never before known. And it gives us instant access to the throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy, find grace to help us in the hour of need. We can come boldly washed in the blood and in that name without fear of being rejected. Now, let's look at what this did caused around them and in them as they continued in these four things. Let's say the four things again, can we? The truth, the tie, the table, and the throne. Now, let's look at what it did. We first see a sanctified people. It says fear came upon every soul. That's talking about the fear of God. Fear came upon every soul. Now, let me tell you something about you and me. We will never sanctify ourselves, which means set yourself aside unto God. We will never do it without the fear of the Lord. We will not remove ourselves from the world unless we have the fear of God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what causes men, the Bible says, to depart from sin. So when fear came upon them, the fear of God, when the Spirit fell, it caused them to be a sanctified people. They were in the world but not of the world. Second, we find a spectacular. Now, I'm using alliteration here to the nth degree so it'll be easy to remember. Alliteration, using the same letter before every word. You notice all the S's? Are you with me? I'm using alliteration so you can remember them. Okay, so we find first a sanctified people, but then a spectacular people. And what I mean by that is, look what it says. Many wonders and signs were done through this company who were observing the truth the tie, the table, and the throne. You could not ignore the supernaturally empowered early church. They just stood out like a city on a hill. But then we also see a single people. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It says, all who believed were together. Now, what is the Bible? What is one of the metaphors the Bible uses for the church? The what of Christ? Body. 
So that if I were tonight to slam my finger with a hammer by mistake, I guarantee you my whole body would pay attention. And my whole body would go into motion to touch that finger and to take care of that finger, bandage that finger, and cry over that finger. Because if part of my body hurts, the rest of my body has no peace till it's fixed. That's the body of Christ. So when I say they were a single people, what I mean is they were together, not divided. They cared for each other's needs. When one hurt, they all hurt. When one rejoiced, they all rejoiced. Is that true of us? Not because it's the church that I pastor, but I'm going to tell you right now, by the grace of God, we have such a united church. And I've noticed when one hurts, other members of the body run to them. I've noticed it and care about them and pray for them. Are we perfect? No. Are we sincere? Yes. So a single people. But then they were also a sacrificial people. Look at verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. (laughs) I've had people say to me, see, that right there is propagating communism because they sold their possessions and nobody had anything of their own. But there's a big difference. Under communism, you're forced. Here, it was voluntary. I'm giving it to others because I'm moved to do it, and I'm doing it. The spirit of greed, notice this, and selfishness was totally broken off this early church. They sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all, as anybody had need. So say with me, they were sanctified. They were spectacular. They were a single people and a sacrificial people. But there's more. They were a spiritual people. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. How often was this happening? Daily. Daily. Now notice how the Bible describes true spirituality by the temple and by the table. Here's what I mean by that. This early church went to church and worshiped together. I've had Christians say to me, you know, Jeff, I'm just not into going to local church anymore. You know, we're fine. We sit at home. We do communion at home with each other, and we watch so-and-so on TV, and, and we're really good. We're growing. We're, we're, we're very healthy spiritually. And I want to say, really? So you're going to call the Bible a lie? You ready to stand up against a verse? Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is These people that say, I'm going to stay home and watch whoever on TV and have communion, they're missing the whole idea that we're to be together. Joint supplying to joint, sinew to sinew. The whole idea of the body of Christ is that we gather together. So the early church went to church all the time, and they worshiped together, and they went to each other's homes for fellowship and breaking of bread. They were continually together encouraging one another and praying for one another. So in other words, true spirituality transforms the normal and the mundane going to somebody's house into something sacred because we're fellowshipping. There's more. They were a singing people. It says they were known for praising God. And this is one of the outstanding earmarks of the early church. You know what made the early church attractive? They were happy. 
That's why I tell people, God's greatest billboard is your face. So when you go out there, what do you look like? You were baptized in pickle juice or do you have joy? Do you have joy? Do you look like you're enjoying this thing called Christianity or do you look like it's a great big burden? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if you've got something heavy you're carrying around, it's not Jesus. So your face, a smiling, joyful face is God's greatest advertisement. Not a billboard, not a sign. They had joy. They had the joy of the Lord, and it manifested in singing and praising God. When was the last time you sang to the Lord when you weren't in church? I mean, think about it. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not here to convict you. I'm just throwing it out there. I had to tell myself to do it. I came from a family of natural warriors and people who did not have a whole lot of natural endorphins. <laughs> do you know what that is? These people that are always bubbly and always happy and always, they make me sick because that's not me. No, not really. I appreciate them. I need to be around them. I need their help. It's easy for me to kind of brood and look at the serious things in life. And so I have to tell myself, hey, Jeff, get over it. Sing to the Lord, thank the Lord, and practice joy. Practice joy. Practice the joy of the Lord. Finally and last, they were a successful people. It says they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So their outreach to the Jerusalem community was amazingly successful. I want you to notice how the church grew. It says, the Lord added to the church, again, how often? Daily. Those who were being saved. Do you see a correlation between the four things they were continuing steadfastly in on a daily basis and the fact that God gave them daily harvest. The only way that anybody can truly be added to the church is if the Lord adds them. The psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Well, you know, I love the Word of God for many reasons. It's true, it's comforting, it's strengthening, it's faith-building, but it's also confirming of the great God we serve, who is able to predict the end of something before its beginning even begins. And so it is with the prophet Joel's forecast of the coming great outpouring of God's Spirit. And let me encourage you today to take advantage of the many resources available on the Life Talk website. Just go to lifetalkradio.us. That's lifetalkradio.us. There you'll discover a large archive of former Life Talk messages that are still changing lives today. And you can also learn how to help us financially take God's Word to America via the Life Talk radio broadcast, which now reaches into every state in the Union with the truth of God's Word and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And join me again next time for our third message in our brand new series on the book of Acts entitled, More Healing and Preaching. Until then, I pray God's rich blessings be yours. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff, and if you appreciate the straightforward Bible teaching you hear on Life Talk Radio, 
you can help us continue to be a voice of truth on this station. Call toll-free at 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us any time, day or night and make a donation to Empower Life Talk to continue transforming lives with the power of the gospel. Call 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us and give your best gift today. This is That is the second message of Pastor Jeff's series, Acts, When God Gets Loose. You can own a copy of this 19 CD set for just $95 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Acts, When God Gets Loose, for only $95 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener supported ministry. We exist to bring God's word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.